Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menounos. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. You know that's what we try to do here every single day. Our quote of the day comes from our guest today. We're really excited. A good life is not a place at which you arrive. It is a lens through which you see and create your world. That is from Jonathan Fields. Hello to our Heel Squad. Coming to you from our West Coast studio. Excited. This is like our first week back. So exciting. Is this our first week back? Yeah. I think it's our first official Official, official. Ish. Yeah. Okay. Uh, today, we are going to be chatting about starting over at any age, overcoming your ego, and creating your dream life. A very full episode. And we're also going to talk about burnout. So I'm really excited because our guest, Jonathan Fields, and I have recently become friends. If you guys saw my little Napa trip not too long ago... I happened upon this little mastermind group in Napa Valley, and Jonathan was uh, one of my new friends I made there. I'm really grateful to have met him, and I can't wait for you guys to hear from him today because I feel like I already have 
a little bit more understanding of myself having read his book and a lot more kind of confidence moving forward in the path that I'm going into because of reading his book. So if that's me, I trust me, I believe it can do the same for you. So let's jump in here. So being stuck in a situation where you realize you aren't happy is the worst. I've been there. Trust me. And especially when it starts to take its toll on your health. I have also been there, as you know. But what if this situation is your dream job, the job everyone wants? Guess what, guys? I've been there, too. You got to make a decision. And it oftentimes comes down to having to wrestle with your ego. Today, Jonathan Fields is an award-winning author, Webby-nominated producer, business innovator, and host of one of the top world's top podcast. But before he had all of this, he had to start over at age 31. So at one point, Jonathan practiced law, which sent him to the hospital. And from there, he was forced to make a decision. Jonathan is going to share with us his story of starting over and his rebirth, how to overcome your ego and not lose yourself to a job that's making you sick, which you all know I can empathize with. So better together and Heal Squad, we are so excited to have you, Jonathan Fields. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's awesome to be with you. <laughs> Thank you for being in chorus with me. <laughs> I can do what I can, although I'm really not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the notes. I love it. Um, so Jonathan, let's start off with uh, kind of the inciting incident for you, right? Because you were this lawyer successful, and uh, somehow that landed you in a hospital. So share with everybody kind of your past life and and what happened. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been through like a series of evolving past lives, but, you know, this was coming out of law school. Um, I was very fortunate. I did well enough. I had some great opportunity presented to me. And I find myself in New York City, where I lived at the time and, and lived for most of my adult life until recently. Um, being invited to join one of the largest, most prestigious law firms in the world. This is a place where, you know, when I was in school, it was my dream that one day maybe I would show up and I would get this offer and then I would step in, I would sort of be anointed, you know, like, okay, I've, I've got the thumbs up and now I'm on the path and it's clear and I'm going to work for years and then become partner. And then the world will be my oyster. And, it, you know, it was all laid out in front of me and, and I was doing you know, interesting work, hard work, getting paid a fantastic salary. I had a business card that I was super proud of that made my you know, parents really proud of, of me as well. Although in hindsight, they really could have cared less about that part of it. Um, and I'm literally, so, so this was my second job in law. I started out at the SEC for three years investigating and start trading. So then I get this job at this big firm. I step into it and immediately I'm thrown onto this deal where we have three weeks to do this massive offering in another country. And if we miss the deadline, literally hours later, the country is going to change the law so we can't do it and our client is out of luck. So there's no wiggle room here at all. There are something like four or five teams working out of four or five different offices in you know like different time zones to make this happen. So I'm put onto this thing. I'm, I'm pretty young in my career and I want to prove myself. So it's everyone, all hands, heads down. And we just start working and working and working and working and basically never stop. You know, 
I think probably over three weeks, I went home maybe a handful of times. Um, I remember at one point living in New York City, working through the night. And in New York, there, there, there is things called alternate side of the street parking rules. I don't know if they have them in other cities too, where you have to move your car for half an hour for the street cheaper to come. I'm working all night. I realized my car is parked on the street. I literally take car service to my car so I can sit in it, move it to the other side of the street at 7 a.m., I pass out with my forehead on the steering wheel until I'm like the street cleaner comes. I move it back and then take car service right back to the office without ever going upstairs or going home and just keep going and going and going. We're pretty deep into this deal. And I start to feel like something in my body is wrong. It's just, I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but you know, I chalk it up to just extreme fatigue and stress and eating terribly and not moving at all because that's what we were all doing. You know, we got paid ridiculous money to do this, to, to, to show up and just devote ourselves to it. But with every passing hour, I'm starting to realize this thing is getting worse. I don't know what it is, but I keep ignoring it. And a couple of days pass. And what starts as a sort of like a, a nagging sensation slowly builds into this severe, severe pain that's radiating from the center of my body. Mm. Still, I don't know what's going on, but I also know I'm young at the job. You know, I'm sort of like, I, I am the kid on all of these teams. I want to prove myself. And everybody is kind of in their own really semi-nightmare scenario, just trying to make this thing happen. So I just keep ignoring and ignoring and ignoring. By the last day, I'm doubled over. I can barely breathe. I can't stand up. Nobody notices, or if they do, they don't say anything to me because we're all just trying to get this thing done. We're also internally focused on our own work. And, and at that point, probably varying levels of suffering that you know this is all mine to own. So finally, I'm breathing. I'm doubled over. We actually were, were in a printer overnight, making this whole thing happen. We kind of hit the button on the deal. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. You know, it gets submitted with a couple of hours left. It gets a little bit blurry after this. I think because I was in such a state of delirium between lack of sleep, um, extraordinary stress, and, and extreme pain, I go home. I either pass out or sleep for a couple of hours. I wake up and I can barely breathe. I pour myself into a cab over to my physician's office. I go upstairs. He sees me right away because he can tell, okay, something's not right. He examines me. He turns white. Not a good sign when your doctor is like, Oh, um, oh, I just got the chills. I, yeah, I, I had had a physical 
um, not too long before that and everything was fine. And then he says to me, there's a large mass in the middle of your body that wasn't there last time I examined what? you. What? He grabs me by the hand, whisks me down the hall to infectious disease. Within hours, I'm checked into the hospital. And what they think happened was about a year earlier, I had had an appendectomy. And when they did it, um, there was probably, it was actually rupturing when they took it out. There's probably a little bit of infection that was brewing in me the whole time. But because of the extreme aspect of the work I was doing, whatever immune system I had left to kind of like keep it at bay, yeah. it had just completely abandoned me. It, you know, my immune system shut down. So this thing just exploded into this giant abscess in the middle of my body, ended up eating a hole through my intestine from the outside in. Um, so, so I end up in one of the, the top hospitals in the country, which is also a teaching hospital. I'm a rare case, by the way. And that means in a teaching hospital, there is a parade of young doctors. <laughs> so we want to see, we want to learn. Right, exactly. They're like, you'll never see a case like this again. Everybody form a line. Um, so like, you know, I'm, I'm a great teaching case at that moment. I'm being examined by everyone on the planet. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, the early surgeons who came in were kind of like, oh, there's extreme stuff. We're going to have to go in this way or this way. And you may have all these pretty horrible side effects, even if the surgery is, is effective. And then they get this sort of like, like really like older senior general surgeon who's been doing this. He's probably in his seventies at that point. He comes in, he's like, nah, I got this, <laughs> you know, totally non-alarmist put me at ease. They whisk me into emergency surgery. You know, everything comes out successful, thankfully. Um, and I, I sort of like come out of that moment. And I have a choice to make, you know, uh, my body literally rejected my career mm. or at least the way that I was pursuing my career, but this is my dream job. You know, this is a thing I had been working for. This is the aspiration for so many folks who I was in school with, who sort of step into this career. This is what we work towards. And this is the track that gets you to that place where supposedly, you know, like magical things happen in your life, but it was destroying me. It was absolutely destroying me. So I had to figure out, okay, where do I go from there? Hey, Hill Squad and Better Together fam. It's been a tough year, but we hear from so many of you just how much our content is helping you heal and get better. And it makes us feel so good. Our team works so hard to deliver this life-changing content. And a lot of you guys ask, how can I have a bigger role in our Heal Squad community? Or how can I do my part to help Better Together continue to uplift even more people? First of all, thank you for that sentiment. And we're so grateful for this community. If you could help us by giving us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts. That's amazing. Second, you could join the Better Together with Maria Menuno's Facebook group and Instagram page. Third, you could share the show with a friend in need. And finally, for as little as $10 a month, please join our Patreon to get monthly live heal events with world-class healers, ad-free episodes of our show, and even weekly bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you. Wow. Can I play devil's advocate? Because normally yeah. I do feel that, but someone who's listening could say, well, was it your body rejecting you? Or was it that the surgeon had, you know, made, when you got your appendix out, something went awry. And then this is just the result of that. And yes, working really crazy hours 
um, instigated all of this. How do you know the difference? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I think at the end of the day, the answer is you don't, mm. you know, but what if, if I think about it logically, something had kept me okay for the year before during that whole course of time, which, and I think it was that, you know, my body was functioning well enough so that it was fighting whatever was going on. I was probably slowly winning and I probably would have been okay long-term, but the extreme nature of the work that I has just said yes to, um, it basically just reversed everything. So I think you're right. You know, if you really think about it, it's probably a combination of the two things, you know, on the one hand, there was this thing that was brewing inside of me, but as we know, as you know, um, things are brewing inside all of us mm. <laughs> oftentimes yep. for many years without us knowing about it. And, you know, they may just slowly organically build, or they may actually be fine until something happens that destroys our body's ability to actually keep us okay. in the, in that context. So you're older and wiser now. And hmm. so if you do look back and if you saw your kind of trajectory, do you think that like, you know, anytime someone says they want to be a lawyer and it's a young person, I'm like, okay, just prepare. A, you're going to be reading all day, all night. (laughs) It is a solitary job. And then if you really want to do this, you better get an acting class under your belt because you got to perform as well. You got to be good in front of a jury and all of that. And so you kind of, I'm sure, have a lot of peers that can tell you how much they're burning the candle at both ends. Um, and when you think of your life now, you know, it's, it's a different perspective, right? Cause, cause now you're, you're comfortable in your life. You've succeeded in all these other areas. Do you look back and, and have any regrets or do you feel like, oh, this totally put me on my path for my purpose? Yeah. You know, it's a question that I've asked myself a number of times over the years. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm really content um, in what I'm doing now. I'm as successful as I want to be. I feel good about myself and about the way I contribute to my life and to the world around me. But I look back at that moment and I don't have regrets, but here's what I do sometimes wonder. I ask myself, if I knew then what I now know about how to really, what matters and what doesn't matter, Mm. what fills me up and what empties me out and how we all actually have the capacity to reimagine and reinvent what we do, even in the context of the career or job or role or organization that we currently have. Had I understood that at a much more nuanced level and the way that I actually feel like I know it now, I often wonder whether I could have looked at that career path and said, huh, you know, the way I'm practicing clearly isn't working for me. Maybe even this particular firm or this, uh, you know, this, this focus area of the law, it's just not right for me. It's not, everything is misaligned, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the field of law is wrong for me. Maybe it's with a, a different firm or a smaller, more boutique practice. Maybe mm-hmm. it's more um, activism-based law. Maybe it's doing things that are less um, deal-driven, where there are just huge, huge, huge amounts of stress and the stakes are ridiculously high and it's all deal by deal by deal. So you're constantly being driven by deadlines. Maybe it's intellectual property law where the creative, creative part of me can really sort of geek out on these different things. And I think looking back, you know, I sometimes think that had I understood what I understand now about the way that we can craft our careers, there's a reasonable chance that I could have stayed in the practice of law, but really just taken some time to reimagine 
how I could do it differently. Um, and probably been pretty happy with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I love hearing that because I think that's, um, such a great way to articulate it because there are so many different ways to go about things, right? Like I know that I was dying slowly doing what I was doing at some point. It wasn't giving me enough. And, and now I wrestle with, yeah, but when I do it, I am lit now. I am like shot out of a cannon. But back then I couldn't even stand anymore. Now I had this brain tumor in my head and I was exhausted and I was burnt out. So I needed that period of rest and recalibration and rebirth and a new purpose to light me up that would eventually bring me back to, okay, I can, I can find my way in this world. And that's without even thinking about it, that's kind of why I was asking the question. And, and it's, it's nice to hear that because there are a lot of people who want to practice law and it doesn't have to, no profession has to kill you. You have to set your boundaries. You have to finagle which area is going to fit your personality, your strengths best. Um, so I really love hearing that. Um, I wonder, um, when you decided to leave the profession, tell us about that transition, because this is where the ego (laughs) comes into play and the dropping of the ego. In a really big way. So, um, so after surgery and after I recovered, I went back to the office because, you know, I still had a job to do and I had no idea. I knew I was moving on, but I had no idea what was coming next. Um, and I would sit in my office and you would, if you walked by my office, you'd see me sort of madly scribbling on a legal pad with a smile on my face. And I wasn't doing any of the work that I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> I was making a list of all the cool things that I would do with my life if I could figure out how to sustain myself doing them. And as I was doing that, um, I started to realize that I was probably going to step out of the path of law and back into the world of entrepreneurship, which was always a part of me. I was a lemonade stand kid, you know, when I was younger and into the world of, of health and fitness and well-being, which I had completely abandoned in the, you know, in the, the five years preceding. But I also knew I was looking at the fitness industry and I knew I had no experience in that industry. And instead of trying to sort of like jump in sideways at a upper management position and leverage my law degree, I really wanted to understand what was happening, what was working, what wasn't working at the most basic point of contact, you know, like when people were on the floor in a gym and trying to understand how that worked. So I talked my way into a a job as a personal trainer in this shishi little studio on the Upper East Side of New York, making 12 bucks an hour, just so I could learn the industry. Wait, Jonathan, um, I don't know if you want to share what you went from to what you went to, but if you do, great. If you don't, everybody, he went from a lawyer at the number one firm to a $12 an hour job at age yeah. 31. Okay. At that, 31, you are at that place where you're starting to like, I really want to like, all right, friends, let's talk about something we all do snack. Trust me. I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier 
kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. An amazing life. I want to go on vacations. I want a nice car. Like you start to get to those places where you're like, I, I want more. And you just went, let's reverse. It, indeed. In fact, I was um, dating the woman who would eventually become my wife. And uh, when we started dating, like she's dating, you know, somebody who's sort of like newly minted lawyer at a big firm. And then <laughs> a little bit into that, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm dating $12 hour, dollar an hour, dude. <laughs> I'm dating $12 an hour, dude. I love it. And look, there's nothing wrong with making $12 an hour. I'm not making fun of that at all. It was just like you said, it was the contrast of like showing up one day in, you know, very expensive suits, making a healthy six figure income with the prestige and uh, of, of this particular, you know, like firm where I would show a business card and it, you know, you get a certain look. And then the next day showing up at work in, you know, running shoes, tights, a beat up old t-shirt um, and making something like a thousand uh, times less than I was making. But I knew this was coming. And because I knew it was coming, I basically stayed at my law job for an extra nine months or so. And I was just banking money the whole time because I knew I wanted a buffer because at that age, at that point in my life, I didn't want to go back and sort of like wake up and, and start living in that place where I didn't know if I could cover myself. Yeah. You, know, you didn't want to be on ramen noodles again. Yeah. So, so I was okay when I left, you know, and I looked at it as like, look, I'm effectively getting a new degree, an entirely new industry, a deep education. And the fact that I was getting paid anything at all, honestly, um, I I was excited about. Um, One of the hardest things to deal with though, is something that you talked about when you were setting up the conversation was, was my ego, was my Mm -hmm. sense of identity, you know, because I had, you know, like worked so hard in law school um, to to graduate in a place where I would be invited into a certain you know, like level of opportunity in the field. And then I'm working four or five years in the field. So I have a certain amount of identity wrapped around my profession. And then I blow that whole thing up overnight. And the fact that I was you know, like making tons less money, I think was actually easier for me to deal with than the fact that I had essentially just dismantled my identity and the identity I was wrapping it around this new profession, I wasn't proven. I wasn't a success in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. In fact, most people around me thought I was out of my mind to even do this. Nobody understood what I was doing. Uh, so a lot of people didn't support me. And yet I knew deep down inside it was a thing that I had to do. But still, I grappled so much with this sense of how do I let go of that identity? My ego is grasping and saying, this is who you are. There's power, there's prestige, there's status built in that. How do I just walk away from that? And it was really hard. I, I had these sort of like daydreamish nightmares of um, an old client of mine from the law world, you know, where we're doing a billion dollar deal, running in Central Park or just walking in Central Park one day and seeing me, you know, like in my trainer outfit with a client lying down on the grass, stretching them out after a run or something like that. And, and just looking and saying, oh, what a shame. I guess he couldn't hack it. You know, um, and I have no doubt that some people may have said that. Um, so it, you know, there was a process of figuring out, okay, how do I grapple with this part of the transition? Because if I keep holding on to it, 
I'm just going to keep running back to it. I'm going to keep trying to hold that door open for as long as I can. And that's not going to free up the, the cognitive and creative and emotional bandwidth to really allow myself to go all in and succeed in this next big adventure. Wow. So a couple of things in there. One, what was worse? What everybody was going to think of you or your own ego? Mm, um, you know, for me, I think, interestingly, it was probably fear of social judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because I'm not the type of person who generally thought that I cared all that much about how people would view me. Um, and I think maybe at this point in life, I'm much more comfortable just knowing I am who I am. Um, and, and I'm pretty good with that. But at that age where I was younger, I was really trying to prove myself and I wanted to be seen as a type of person in the world. Um, I think the, 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 the fear of the social judgment being almost, you know, like the fear of being outcast from circles that I wanted to be welcomed into. Mm -hmm. That was really, that was hard for me to deal with. Um, And it took, it really took time. It took reimagining who I was and it took a certain amount of um, just keeping telling myself, okay, put your head down. As long as you're in a path of learning, as long as you're discovering what fills you up, what empties you out, as long as you're getting better and better at this new thing, then you're in a growth process. And I also gave myself a certain amount of time, which I think a lot of people do. You know, like rather than just saying, let's let this run for years and who knows what might happen. I kind of said, all right, let's let this run for nine months. It might've been 12 months. It was actually whatever amount of money I had saved in the bank to live on. Like that was my window. And I knew that I had to start to replace my ability to earn a living within a certain amount of time. And I think my goal became, okay, first figure out the industry, figure out how to build a better mousetrap, and then get back to a place where you feel really good about what you're doing. And you have a sense that you can, you're, you're, you're capable of accomplishing uh, and achieving on an equally high level in this new space, even if I'm not there yet, get to a place where I see the path that's laying out in front of me. And I believe that I can actually get there. And that was kind of the pivotal moment for me, you know, where, so it probably took a good six months or so before the the psychological transition really started to catch. Um, And I started to care less about what other people were thinking about what I was doing. And then as I started to become successful in a new industry, what was interesting is down the road and then other friends from my past started to see what was going on. They started coming to me and saying, Hey, um, (laughs) so how'd you do what you did? (laughs) Yeah. So how do you, how do you do all that in between part, right? How do you, do you have to surround yourself with new friends do you have to kind of abandon the old so that you don't have to deal with the judgments and the negativity so that you can embrace the new? Do you have to talk to yourself to remind yourself that you are smart and capable? I talk to myself sometimes, right? I was on my, my treadmill the other day and I was like, you can do this. You can do this. You are smart. You are capable. Like, I think that we all have these moments of doubt, no matter how successful we are or have been when you're forging a new path. And you're trying something different and now, ooh, you might fail. That's kind of scary. It is. It's really scary. Um, 
you know, it's interesting uh, when I think about, okay, so what was the thing that got me through that window? There's something that I kept repeating to myself. It was called a mantra, but it's not really a mantra, but it was, it was a thought and it was this. So I work really hard. I've worked really hard my whole life. It almost doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's just the way I'm wired. I like hard work. You know, I think we all like hard work when it's actually doing something that fills you up. But I kept saying to myself, okay, so I just worked so hard in an industry that was emptying me out and that I, I really had no interest in what I was doing beyond a paycheck and, and a sense of status. I worked so hard in that space that it literally started to destroy my health. What would happen if I applied that same work ethic, which I know I have, to an entirely new space where I loved what I was doing, where I had a deep fascination, a deep interest in this space, where I woke up in the morning and even if I was really tired, I was excited to go and do this thing, to learn about it, to be of service to other people, to make new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept, I kept playing that tape in my head. I said, I'm capable of succeeding in a space where I had no interest in it because of the way that I work. I know I'm capable of working at that level where I can succeed at anything. So my job was really to find a space where I was so lit up by what I was doing that if I applied that same work ethic to that space, there was something in me that just said, I know I'll figure it out. Or even if I don't, I'll figure out that this is not the right channel for me in this moment in time. And then I'll run the next experiment and the next. And eventually I'll find the the alignment between the thing that I really want to do and, and the impulse to work hard and I'll be okay. You know, one of the things that I realized early on is that um, you bring your work ethic and your competence with you. It's not defined by the job or the role or the title or the industry that you're in. I love that. What a great kind of recipe for success, right? So I always tell people, I'm like, I feel like at 40, you should reevaluate everything. It's like, we have such a short lifespan. Why just be stuck doing one thing? Unless that one thing is totally making you happy. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Happy. Um... But it's so scary to start over. And it's funny because my tumor, my rebirth happened before 40 um, and kind of put me on a new path. But I love, that's such a great nugget. It's like, I know I can apply myself. I know that I'm going to work harder than anybody. So if I put it in something that's actually feeding my soul, making me feel happy, you know, that's exciting me and lighting me up, why wouldn't I have success? Duh. Like, can we just have the light bulbs all collectively go off in our heads? 
that's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was interesting too, because I was doing this in an industry where I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know if I'd like it. I thought I would, because I was always wired to be fascinated by the mind-body connection. Um, and once I got into it, I also realized how broken the industry was. I saw all over the place. I saw things that were just being missed, that were being done in a way where it was all about a focus on money rather than a focus on changing lives. And I understood it. I understand, you know, the math of the industry very well at this point. I've, you know, been in and out of it for a number of decades in different ways now. Um, but I also something in me said there's a different way to do this. And if I do it differently, um, I just think that you know success is going to come. I ended up eventually after six months at this initial job, I ended up opening my own facility. And basically, have you ever seen the Seinfeld episode where George Cassandra is like, every impulse I have is horrible. So I'm just going to do the opposite of every impulse I have. And his life becomes like magical. So I literally looked at the industry and I said to myself, I'm going to do the opposite of everything that that's being done right now. Um, and we opened a facility and within the first 18 months, you know, just from a revenue standpoint, we were doing more revenue in a month than the average facility, five to 10 times the size of us were doing, we, we were focused on service only. We were doing more revenue in a month than they were doing in a year in that particular area because I approached it totally differently. And also, and this is, I think, a really important nugget too, because I didn't come up in the industry, I brought a completely outsider lens to this space. And I wasn't bound to all of the things that you're supposed to do. I just came in and I said, let me learn fresh. You know, I had no attachment to the past or the way things were done. And I just started looking like a kid, you know, total beginner's mind and just devouring information. And then I just, does this feel right to me or does it not? Are people flourishing? Are they succeeding in their goals or are they not? And then how can I do it differently in a way that I think would be better? And I think we, when sometimes we were afraid of entering sort of like a completely new thing, because we feel like we don't have the experience or the mm -hmm. pedigree or the knowledge or the background. Yep. And we think that's a disadvantage. But honestly, I think so often that is your biggest advantage is that you're not bound by all the constraints and the limitations and the assumed courses of dealing and the way it has to be. You can step in with fresh eyes. And not only can you like figure out how to do things better and different, um, it's better for you, but also very often it's better for whatever you know organization you end up with. I love it. So what were, I'm so curious now about this facility and what you did that was so different. And I love the idea of having that fresh perspective. So, you know, we, my husband has a saying like, just take Coke, make Pepsi. You don't have to reinvent mm -hmm. the wheel, take Coke, make Pepsi, follow a model that's been successful. Tony Robbins talks about it all the time, right? Everyone talks about modeling, but then you get more of the same, right? So I do think that there are those moments where your individuality has to step out so that you can be you. You might model so that you can get like a framework so you're not completely out of the loop. But um, but I do believe in um, in that fresh perspective and that's something that you have, that uniqueness that you're bringing to the table. Um, so I really like that reminder, even for myself, as I'm building everything anew right now. And, and I've had all those same moments. I was talking to Marie Forleo two nights ago. I was like, I'm getting really overwhelmed by all of this. And she's like, that's mm. normal. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Um, because you think you're supposed to know everything. You think you're supposed to be perfect at everything and like overnight, which is a lot of pressure. Um, but I want to go back to kind of what did you do in the 
space of personal mm. training that was so different? Because now I'm curious. Yeah. So, so there was there, and eventually I ended up um, in the yoga world in New York City too. And we took a complete contrarian approach there as well. But so things like in the fitness world, um, the we focused on just fierce, fierce, fierce personal touch. We didn't care about in the world of, of personal training in the fitness world, when I was really deeply into it, the, the very often, you know, a trainer had two jobs. One was to um, move somebody through a particular routine. And the other was to re-enroll them every 10 sessions, you know, and you got compensated in no small part based on your ability to re-enroll people. I said, I don't want that. Like what I want is to understand really intimately when somebody shows up at our facility, who are you? Tell me about your life. Tell me about everything. Tell me about what's going right, what's going on, your stressors, your relationships, everything. Now tell me what you want to accomplish. Why are you here? And then tell me why that matters to you. And then five layers deep. And why does that matter? Why does that matter? Mm -hmm. So we worked like with sort of like a level of deep <clears throat> psychology, you know, so that we weren't working with people to sort of like hit some, some service level benchmark we were working them on the level of sort of like deep and profound purpose. Um, and that completely changes the game. And then rather than uh, compensating based on your ability to re-up, you know, a particular person, you know, we would look to compensate based on, are you actually delivering to a particular client uh, the outcome that they came here for? We also really focused on creating a family environment so we knew people, um, we knew everything about them. We supported them in every way. And we also focused on staying really small. You know, one of the interesting things is, so the fitness industry as, as a general rule has had something like a 40% annual attrition rate every year, which means that they effectively have to recreate their entire client base every two and a half years. What other business survives doing that? So you have to spend a massive amount of money on marketing to just keep bringing new bodies in the door. Like, and, and we just said, okay, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the model was based on let's maximize revenue per square foot. So there's a bazillion machines that get put in rows. And then those machines are repetitive, meaning they're monotonous, meaning you tune out. So you had to distract yourself. And so then you'd have all the TVs and the entertainment systems now built into all the different things. And what do you do to access those? Well, you put on your headphones and you plug in. Now you can just plug into your own device. But for a lot of years, you plugged into the thing. So now everyone's plugged into their own thing. They're in their own little micro bubble. So the opportunity for community, which is a huge, huge part to develop belonging and friendship mm. and camaraderie is annihilated, right? It just becomes a factory where you show up, you grind out the monotony because you're being told that you have to do it. It's not fun. So you distract yourself from what you're doing and then you move on. And we just said like, no, you know, that is just not the way to do it. Let's, let's make something that is intimate and human and relational and where everyone knows everyone. It was like the cheers of the fitness thing. Mm, Cause then you know, everyone's excited where, to be there. Right. Right. You know, and it was supportive. What's interesting is in the years at, you know, like we, I, I had that company for two and a half years and then we sold it. Um, in the years after that, you started to see things like SoulCycle and CrossFit mm. and these, these things, which really took the notion of we're all in this together you know, this is community. We all show up and support each other. And if you don't show up one day, somebody is going to be calling you, not your trainer, but somebody from the community, because we love you and want to make sure you're okay. Um, and that, that has been instilled in a lot of different businesses now in the fitness industry where it just wasn't um, when we were doing it. So 
Um, and there are all sorts of other sort of like smaller touch points that we would do. And like, even when I sold that and then we stepped into the yoga world in New York city, um, you know, I, I said, okay, so they're great yoga studios in New York. Why would we do something that was, you know, like in this city? I said, well, a lot of people in the city actually feel really uncomfortable stepping into the studios because they're intimidating. Mm -hmm. They're really scared, especially like you take a 50 something year old guy who's out of weight, you know, like overweight, out of shape, mm -hmm. not flexible. And they're terrified to step in. I knew because those were a lot of the people that I knew. And then even the vast majority of people who were at yoga studios in New York then and still are, 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 you know, women identifying and many women have sent triggered migraines, but you walk into your typical studio and you almost always have really strong scents coming at you. So we said, let's remove every conceivable barrier that we have to somebody feeling at peace in this space while we try and also preserve the power of the practice. So with everything that I eventually ended up doing and evolving into, it was all about how do we create something that is more inviting, more accessible, more inclusive, um, more intimate, and more community-driven than anything that's out there? I love that. I'm writing it. More inviting, more inclusive. Because it's true. I know for me, I dislike going to gyms or any of those kinds of places because even I'm intimidated walking in. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to suck at this or I, I'm not. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Uh, this isn't my area. I don't know anybody here. And so Soul Cycle was great because you just get on your bike the lights go down and it just felt good to, um, to have that kind of, you know, experience, but yeah, it is, it is a pain point, I think for, for people to feel comfortable. Yeah, and to, the, to this day, um, something like, uh, 80 to 85% of adults in the U S will not join or stay members of a health club. Mm -hmm. Um, despite billions of dollars of marketing being spent trying to change that number. And, and you, you have to at some point wonder like, why? What's going on here? And there's something much more primal happening, you know, on a cultural level of what's happening in facilities. Um, but it is changing. I, I mean, there definitely, there are new offerings um, out there that are actually really changing the way that it's being offered, which is cool to see. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask um, the burnout question. How do mm. you make sure that you never get burnt out again? Mm. Okay. So I could, I could give you the, the, the fake um, broadcast answer and say, well, um, <laughs> here are the ways that I never get burnt out again. Or uh -huh. I could give you the honest answer, which is I do. Okay. You know, and part of the reason is that I actually love what I do. 
I get really filled up with what I do. And sometimes I do so much of it. And I go so deep because I want to accomplish so much that I push too hard. Um, so a couple of things come to mind. One is create what I call circuit breakers in your life. Um, so I, I am, my impulse for work is I call myself a maker. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what can I make? What can I create? And that's a very process satisfied way to be that, that impulse is like, I can literally be completely in solitude and just do my thing, but I can also lose myself into that space because it's so process driven. So what I'll do is I'll kind of say, okay, so I'm, I'm working on making this thing happen. Um, I know that I have the mm. ability to work really hard and lose myself in it. So I'm going to tell other people who are close to me in my life, what I'm doing, I'm going to make an agreement about how much I'm going to work when it's appropriate for me to step out of that and just renew, you know, what my commitments are to meditation, to nutrition, to relationships, to movement. And I'm going to ask them if they'd be willing to actually serve as my circuit breakers and kind of keep an eye on me so that if I start to lose sight of a healthy blend of what I'm doing, um, they can kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, Jonathan, um, remember that conversation that we had? Um, and this person in my wife is, is in my life is my wife, Stephanie mm -hmm. predominantly, um, you know, which is interesting because we're both, we're life partners and we're business partners. So sometimes we have to pull each other out of that hole. Um, I've gotten to a point where now I have enough mechanisms in my life and practices where I can pull out, I can turn off work at a certain amount of time. I can take some time off. And now I'll actually say to her, Hey, hon, it's 11 o'clock at night. Um, Maybe it's time to, to close the computer. But I think we both, we have these agreements and we have clarity around what we're doing, why we're doing it. And even in moments of launch, you know, like we're having a conversation while I'm launching something I've been working on for years and I care deeply about it. And I know having launched businesses, brands, books, there's going to be a window where everything is just completely out of whack and I'm all in and I'm not going to be in any state of balance, but I say yes to that, having understood what I'm going to put into it, how hard and how long I'm going to work, what the deadline is, um, what my expectations are. And if I hit a certain date and I realize that um, you know things are not as I thought they would be, then I have to re-examine all of my assumptions and say, is it time to shift gears or to dial back or to completely pivot and change paths? So I think it's really important to create a really solid understanding of um, when to, to pull back and also to enroll people who are not you in the process. Um, and if you don't have people, even using technology to set reminders or triggers can be helpful. I mean, you can literally put on your calendar every day, once a day, you know, to have a little notification pop up at 10 PM before you go to bed at night and literally just have to journal, answer five questions, you know, like, how did I feel today? Like, do I feel, what's my state of mind? Did I do these three things that I know are really important for my well-being um, and check in on a regular basis? So whether it's a person or whether it's technology, there are ways that you can build accountability to pull out of or avoid stepping too far into the space of burnout. Um, for sure, it's been harder in the last year and a half for a lot of folks because we feel we have less of a sense of agency mm. and because so many people are working at home right now and you may have families and it's all become this one giant montage and we're not entirely <laughs> sure how many hours we're working now because we're not entirely sure when we're working or when we're not working. And then it all weaves in and out of each other. 
But I think those moments, it's even more important to get really clear about the mechanisms and the boundaries that you create. Guys, Jonathan's book is called Sparked. Discover your unique imprint for work that makes you come alive. So we are going to have a part two with him where we talk about honoring your calling. So in the book, he talks about um, people who Google, what should I do? He says, there's a decent decent chance it'll finish with the sentence, with my life. What should I do with my life? So we are going to be chatting with him in part two about how to figure out what you should be doing with your life, what your unique imprint is. I took the sparked test this morning. I was very uh, surprised by my answers. Somewhat surprised and then, of course, not surprised either because I think I'd have really no clue of who I was if I was totally surprised. Um, But that's going to be our part two. But before we get to that, I have one last question for you. And that is, what are the key suggestions you have for someone who thinks, hmm, it's time for me to start over? A couple of immediate things come to mind. One, ask yourself why you believe you cannot get what you need in the space that you're already in. Um, And then ask yourself, is it true? Or am I just assuming that I can't get it? Like, where's the evidence that shows that I really can't do that? Then ask yourself, okay, so do I really know even what makes me come alive? What fills me up and empties me out? Because if you don't, it doesn't matter. You're going to just keep repeating the same pattern everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So then like the the first step to me before you do anything is say yes to a process of self-inquiry. Use there's so many different tools, and you, know, like you can use the tools I've created. There's all these different tools where you can learn so much more about what fills you up and what empties you out. Before you make any decision, you've got to understand that about yourself, because without that, you'll keep repeating the same pattern over and over and over. And if you're somebody who's saying this same thing for the third, fourth, or fifth time, you know, like ten years down the road after five jobs, it's not the job; it's you. You know, you've got to enter a process of self-inquiry and self-discovery. Then once you do, once you have that sense, look at your job, the one that you have now, the one that you think you have to leave and don't leave and ask yourself, how can I reimagine or reinvent this so that I can do it differently so that this thing that I know about me, the things that I need to come alive are going to be expressed as much as they possibly can, even if if it's not within my job description in this same job, make it as good as I can make it. Then at that point, a lot of people actually will find the thing they're doing, they don't have to leave. They've actually been able to figure out how to make it so much better. But even if you decide at that point, you know what, still not getting me there, you'll leave it in such a psychologically improved space that the way that you bring yourself to the exploration and interview process for whatever may come forward after it, will not be from a point of burnout and dejection and futility, but from a place of empowerment saying, I know who I am. I know what I need. Like I know what I'm looking for and I know I'm fully capable of doing everything I can to succeed. And the last thing that I did, I actually made it as good as I could and it wasn't quite right. So now I'm going to step out into the world, not from a place of futility, um, but from a place of empowerment and you will land in conversations radically differently. I love that. All right, guys, 
we're going to have our part two with Jonathan and we are going to learn so much about ourselves and what we're here to do. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't clicked subscribe, please do on your YouTube and turn on those notifications so that you don't ever miss an episode. If you could rate, comment uh, on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. We would very much appreciate that. And of course, you can find us on at Better Together with Maria on Instagram. And Jonathan, you can find at Jonathan Fields. We'll put that in the summary of this episode, as well as a link to his book and his um, podcast and his website so you guys can learn more about him. But stay tuned for the second episode with Jonathan as we're going to dive in a little bit deeper on all of this. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. All right, everyone. Remember, be nice people, make good choices and be present. Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends, and if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you, and Finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heal squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.